Thankfully, we never break our fellowship with communion with God. As long as we're walking with Him. And we are going to finish up our foundational convictions today. And we only have nine to go through, talking about being a student, a student of the times and a student of tested principles, so we'll talk about that. And then if we have any time left, I'll uh, open it up. Obviously, you can talk back to me at any time during the, during the lesson, but I'll open it up for any testimonies of how uh, Grace and Granite, how this curriculum, how this semester in particular, how Grace and Granite in general has been helpful to you. And um, we'll encourage one another in that way, but we'll start this morning with Psalm 5. Today is December the 5th, believe it or not. And we'll read that, and then we'll, we'll pray. And I would covet your prayers uh, this week. Um, I've been feeling a little puny from a blood pressure standpoint since uh, Thursday, Friday, so the Lord's had me, sidelined me for a few days, it was providential that Brother Tom was here to preach, wasn't that an amazing message, wow, I told him, uh, you get to be the hero, I've been beating us over the head with law and sin, and we're dirt bags, and we know there's nothing good that dwells in us, and you get to come in and preach about grace. But it was it was water to my soul. Um, it really was, and just uh, what a dear what a dear brother he is, and um, just a great a great guy. And uh, so that was that, that was tremendous. So the Lord had that uh, even in His providence uh, for me. And looking toward this coming Sunday, we're heading into the Christmas messages into the Gospels. So that'll be. That'll be good for you know, for my soul as as well. But you can you can pray for me for strength and um, anytime I go through something like this, which is meh, periodically, uh, I'm just I'm the Lord forces me to face my uh, my limitations, and I, I I don't know about you, but I don't like limitations. Um, I want unlimited energy. I want unlimited ability. I don't want anything to to slow me down or get in my way, it almost, it's almost like I want to be God. It's almost like I, I don't want to depend upon, depend upon him. So I know he's teaching me good lessons through it, but it's not a, not a pleasant experience. Um, so you pray that the Lord will wrestle my heart to the ground and give me what, a, what I need. Um, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Is it a requirement that we pray in the morning? No, it's not a requirement, not like a law any more than it's the posture in which you pray. You know, we, we bow our heads, close our eyes. There's nothing commanded in the Bible to do that. Some stood and prayed, some laid on their face and prayed. So the posture is not 
is not mandated. However, I do think you find a principle in the Psalms and the Scripture that um, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised, starting your day focused on the Lord um, is, is good. David says, in the morning, you'll hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. So you never have to worry about evil coming from the Lord. Boast, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant mercy, your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house by the grace of God. At your temple, I will bow in reverence to you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make my way straight before you. The idea of making my path smooth. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Those words sound familiar? Romans 3. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out. For they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord, and surrounds him with favor as with a shield. Let's pray. Father, it is in the morning, and we seek you together early, even before um, we start the main duties of our day. We get the privilege to gather together, and I thank you for these, uh, these moments. I thank you for these men. Thank you for being able to open the Bible together to pray for one another and look to you. I am thankful, Lord, that you, um, you saved us thankful that you are our, our hope and our shield. Uh, I am thankful that um, while there are enemies around us, um, there is the world, the flesh, and the devil, the battle that we do every day in your name, for your cause, for your purposes. Um, there is hope in you. And we can, we can enter your, your, your house. Uh, we can do that by your loving kindness, and we can rejoice in, in you. Salvation is of the Lord. It comes from you, not from us, not from our efforts, not from anything. So would you meet with us this morning? Would you meet the needs that we have? We are limited. Uh, we are not God. Um, and I pray that you would uh, let iron sharpen iron, encourage our hearts, Teach us something new today that we did not know. Remind us of something we already knew. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're in this foundational convictions section. And we have run the gamut here this, this semester. 
We said the purpose of, the, of, the, of this study is to drive home some foundational convictions. Some, these convictions are what give or help give men the courage to stand on the truth and vigorously apply it in their, in their lives. And there's a portion of this training that's intended to help, help you build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ, to the... Uh, to the church, what is God doing in the world today? Um, he is building his church. That's what Jesus promised to do. I will build my church, not build kingdoms, not uh, change politics, not, not do anything. He is building his church in the midst of a fallen world, uh, a world that he will redeem. Uh, it will melt in fervent heat and be remade in a new heaven and a new earth. But what he's doing right now is he's building, building his church. At the ascension of Christ, whenever he went up into heaven, the, the apostles asked, is now the time for the kingdom? And he said, no, it's time for you to be my witnesses. And as you're being my witnesses, I will build, I will build my church. That timing is in the Father's hands. That's coming, but that's not the time. So right now, what is Christ doing? He is fulfilling his promise. How does he build his church? He builds it through the, through the gospel. So you're here as part of the church because someone was obedient to the command of Christ and shared the gospel and brought you in to the church. And now this is your sphere of life. It was once with, in my case, friends and, and motorcycle buddies and drunks and whatever else and and now they're out there, and now I'm in here, and I'm in here with you, and you're in here. And this is, this is what we're doing. We're to go out there to share the gospel, but to bring people back in here. And bringing people back in here, this is how we sanctify, we are sanctified, how, we, how we're edified. And, and the Lord structured his church in specific ways. He's given gifts to his church, pastors and teachers, evangelists, and they're equipping the saints the saints are doing the work of the ministry, which is the maturing of the body of, of Christ. And so myself or someone else equips you with the truth, and then you receive that, you apply that to your own life, you, you, you learn, and then you turn around and speak the truth in love to one another and use your gifts in the body, and all of that functions. That's what God is doing in the world today, and that's all God needs to do in the world today. That's what the world needs. The world needs a biblical church and people that that know the gospel, stand on the gospel, and are functioning in the gospel inside the, inside the church. But, but then that's the big picture, but how do, we, how do we become part of that? How do we work that out? And we're talking about convictions that we, we need to have firm in our heart, in our lives. So we talked about having a working biblical literacy. We, we need to know some stuff. We don't just need to know general stuff. We, we actually need to plumb the depths of the, of the Bible we, we don't ever, there's no lid in your learning. You don't ever reach the, you know, the, the, the place where you've got it figured out and then you just repeat what you've got figured out. You, you, you cannot reach the bottom of the pool. Um, it is, it's, it's, the, it's the deep as the deepest ocean and, and high as, the, high as the, the heavens themselves. It's the truth of God. And so you have an understanding, working biblical literacy, um, there's a challenge to that we talked about. There's the digital age, which we'll talk a little bit about this morning, and we need to ponder truth. Um, we need to take time to sit with the Lord. We need to listen to the Lord. Um, because if not, 
the water can just rush over you and it not actually soak into your soul. Uh, you want it to be like oil in your bones. Um, have the right perspective of leadership. We need leaders. Leaders uh, that lead us properly and that understand what leadership is, not just uh, organization, event planning, large groups of people. You need to apply the truth to life's hardest, hardest questions, take the truth and work it out. Work it out practically. You're not going to be strong. Uh, you're not going to have a very thick foundation if you just if you just work out the you know the basics and and until you can answer the the little questions in your mind, but not not, not deal with with harder things. Um, that that change happens at a heart level. So the truth has to get down into your into your heart. Let the truth implicate your thoughts and. And your desires, and your affections, and your emotions, and and, and your will. Um, number four, know how to help others develop convictions. Convictions are the beliefs that drive your life, for which you would die. And circumstances demanded, and so know how to develop convictions yourself, and and help others. Have the right perspective of yourself. Humility is the queen of graces. God gives grace to the humble. Let a man regard himself in this manner as servants of Christ. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. We're merely slaves who believe, stewards who belong to God. Number six, have the right perspective of longevity. Be faithful for the long term. Don't fall for fads or, or gimmicks. Have the right perspective of influence. So don't measure it on a superficial level by numbers or perceived influence. All true spiritual influence flows from godly character. Godly character flows from humility and faith. You want to have godly character? You want to have godliness characterize your life? When someone looks at you or thinks of you, when someone evaluates you, sizes you up, what they conclude is godliness. There's, you've appropriated God in your life. You're applying the, the scriptures. You're like the Lord. There's, there are aspects of you like the Lord in all of these different ways that scripture, scripture deals with. How, how, does, how, do you, how, do you, how does that become something that characterizes your, your life? That godliness flows from humility and faith. Um, Believing God and His promises, that's the faith part. And then having a, the right perspective of yourself as far as, as far as humility. Augustine said a downward disposition. Humility is a downward disposition. You're not lifted up inside with the illusion of self-sufficiency. You have a proper perspective of yourself. You see yourself rightly before God, and therefore you see yourself as you as you truly are. Um, and then we we where we've been for a while. What what matters supremely is that men know the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth, disciple others in the truth, and that's what we worked through last time. And then move to number eight, having a grasp of practical ministry. Um, it's not just enough to know stuff; you have to do stuff. And you do stuff in the in the church, 
You can think that you're a pretty godly guy. You can think that you're doing things for the Lord by coming. And then you start taking inventory. And you say, where do I serve and how am I serving the body? And you say, well, I'm not really. I really don't have any place. That, that I'm, I'm serving people with my presence. Well, one sense that's true. You're provoking one another to love and good works, but, but if, you, if, you're, if you're stopping there, I would say go on uh, in the Lord. Are you involved in a Bible study? If you said praise the Lord, you are. Here you are. Are you encouraging friendships? What's an encouraging friendship? Oh, I like hanging around this person, so this is the person I'm going to hang around. We like to do the same things, and so that's what I'm going to do. Are you encouraging friendships? A Christian friendship is you're there to meet the needs of that other person in some way. You, you maybe it's not that you like doing what they do, so you two hang around each other. It may be I see that person, and I don't like to do anything they like to do. But as a believer, I want to build a friendship with them for the purpose of ministry, ministering to, to one another. Are you discipling anyone? Are you meeting with anyone? Um, reading a book together? Working through grace and granite? Talking about the, talking about the, you know, the, the sermon? Um, working through those things in your lives? Are you being discipled? Somebody meeting with you? Talked about, we can't really find this in the Bible, but I do think it's a good principle. Having a, a Paul, somebody above you that can pull you along, a Barnabas, somebody that you're walking beside, and, and then a Timothy, somebody that you're, you're bringing along. Are you in the flow of ministry life, learning about the lives of others? Do you just come in on Sunday and light and leave? Or are you coming in and are you actually interested in other people for the purpose of learning about their lives. Why would I want to learn about somebody else's life? Because you want to pray for them? Because when you hear about their lives, it, it may put a burden on your heart. It may encourage you. You may hear about how somebody else is going through something, and that may encourage your, encourage your own heart. Well, that takes initiative. Well, I'm an introvert. Well, so was I. I was petrified to speak in front of people. Still times I get nervous speaking in front of people. Um, but that doesn't give me an excuse not to be involved in people's lives. Tracy says she needs to stay alive because if she died, I would uh, come out of my hole to preach my sermon and then go back in my hole to study until the following Sunday. And, and the Lord does put you with people, uh, uh, puts other people around you to, to provoke you and, and, uh, and, and help you in, in those areas of weaknesses. But, but what, however you're wired um, doesn't give you an excuse for not being involved in the lives of, of, of other people. Um, uh, we're all awkward. We all got issues. So um, get in the flow of ministry life. It's easy in a church. I mean, these are your brothers and sisters. This is your church family. So, so you, you're amongst friends. You're amongst family. So you can, you can share your burdens and you can learn uh, to other people. How do you do that? Just get in the flow of ministry life. Come to Grace and Granite like you're doing now. Come on Sunday. Uh, come in other times. Do you sacrifice your time, your energy, and your money, resources to serve others? 
It's a convicting thing whenever you start looking at that to find out, no, I don't. I really don't sacrifice my time, my energy, or my resources. It's also a convicting thing to learn as you do some examination there, which is what this is, take some self-inventory, examine your life, that you find, yeah, I do give my time and my energy and my money and my resources, but really all of those are for me. I get some benefit out of them. I get my time, but I like doing it too. Uh, my energy, my resources. And what this is talking about is do you sacrifice? It's a big difference, isn't there? The word sacrifice. Cost me something. Sacrifice means it costs me something. Do you give your time where it costs you something? Do you give your energy where it costs you something? Do you give your money where it costs you something? Um, or is it just out of the overflow? Is it just something that really doesn't affect you at all? A, a sacrifice unto the Lord is giving something unto the Lord that, that hurts, that matters. Do you pray for others? Probably one of the greatest things that you can do. I ask you to pray for me in the beginning of the service. Do you pray for others, not just yourself? I hope you pray for yourself. I do. I find the majority of my prayers, at least in the beginning, is for me. <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm this, I'm that. But I hope it turns for others, to others as, as well. It's one of the ways that you can know Satan's got you off track. If you're so, I guess there are periods of time when you go through that, but if you're so focused on yourself, you're always thinking of yourself, you're always bringing yourself before the Lord, you, you, you can know that, that God wants you to come before him and lay your needs there, but then he wants you to focus on others. If you're so focused on yourself in prayer or your own needs, then that can be a sign of, of too much introspection. And you need to be using your gifts, even if you're not completely sure how, and get busy serving. The final section here is to be a student need to be a student and be a student of the times and a student of tested principles. Now, this is the very end. So, obviously, that means that there's the stuff that we've learned up to this point is more foundational, and this is kind of polish at the end. Be a student of the, uh, of the time. Be a student of today's prevailing error, today's place in church history, and today's particular need. Now, when I read that, there's some immediate thoughts come to my mind. Be a student of today's prevailing error, today's place in church history, and today's particular need. Why would we even need to do this? Well, what would be the purpose of being a student of today's prevailing error, today's place in the church, and today's particular need? That's question one. Why would I need to do this? Why would this be valuable for me as a man of God to develop foundational convictions and convictions that will help build me into the church, strengthen the church? And then are there some dangers in some of those areas? Those are the two questions that come to my mind. What do you think? Be a student of today's prevailing error, today's place in church history, and today's particular need. Why would I need to be a student of that as a man of God? Yes?
Amen. Amen. And, and, and the key there is as men, men of God, men in the church, A, you need to be aware so you don't fall to it, but B, you have an even greater responsibility of that in your home, your own heart, your church, to be able to refute that, that error. Yeah, Russ? Mm. Amen. Amen. For today's prevailing era. Yeah, Ed? Yeah. Amen. Amen. We're, we're never in neutral, are we? And unfortunately, we're not falling forward. We're, we're being world is being drugged backwards. So. Yes, sir. You next. Go ahead. Okay. In order to fight fights that are not relevant? <laughs> Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I agree. There is a prevailing era. There is a period of time. I totally agree with you. I remember that. And uh, you, I mean, for me, it was it was uh, when I came to Christ. It was uh, pragmatism, church growth movement, Rick Warren, you know, those kinds of things. And you know, yeah, I've heard of Rick Warren, but who's he? You know, I don't even know is he even in ministry now. I mean, so that has morphed into other things but that was the deal that was that was like that was what people were struggling with and you know reading 40 days of purpose and you know and and, and then leading churches in that you know in that direction oh, have you heard about this this book's great and i remember a lady saying i read this book and it changed my life i remember my pastor saying i read another book and it changed my life and if you'd be in that book more than rick warren's book it might change your life too you might be able to see that that's not Really a good book. <laughs> Prevailing error. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah? Amen. Today's prevailing error, today's place in church history. Does that broaden it at all? What do you think we mean by that? But what, what's implied there, almost like Ed was saying with the today's prevailing error, it, it implies what? That we are in a place in church history. <laughs> I mean, I can remember never studying church history and studying it for the first time. I mean, as I've said, most, the average church member's grasp of church history goes back to their pastor's pastor. So that you listen to your pastor, and he's always talking about his pastor. So it only goes back about two generations. And I remember studying church history and like, wow. Like, God's been doing stuff since the book of Acts. And he's been doing the same stuff. And, wow, look at that church. Look at that church history during that period. That's the same thing that we're going through today. Just repeated its, the lie repeated itself. How did we fall for that again? You know? Now, don't, you know, common statement, history repeats itself. That's, that, that's not biblical. History is linear. There's a beginning and an end. God says he knows the end from the beginning. There's a linear thing. Christ is the, is the focal point, the center point of history. is coming, first coming, and his second coming, the culmination of, of all things. But Satan knows your heart. He's smarter than you. He's been around a lot longer. Um, I just read a Puritan over the weekend that said he, he knows... The fossils. He, he, he studies your fossil record. He studies the relics from your unsaved life. And from that, he can tell what your weaknesses are. And then he dangles those in, in, in front of you. And I just thought, huh, fossil record. Yeah, relics of my life, of my old life. So then he can see what he used then. Of course, he knew, knows what he used then. Or you might be, be, be weak again. But then what, seeing that while the church is this side or that side, there's a clear stream of undisputed doctrines. So where am I at? You know, is my church hyper this or weak that or you know, fundamental or liberal or what what are the fundamental what are the what are the what what are the, the, the doctrines that you find in scripture that are just consistent, still here today? It's one of the evidence of encouragement and watching God pull his church out of the ditch and bringing his church off the mountain of, of self-whatever and just seeing it, it there. The encouragement of that is that there is a church history and there's a plan, and God's church is in the middle of it. I will build my church. There's a, there, there's a promise that's there. great. Read dead people. Be careful following men that are still alive, especially young men. You have no idea how their life's going to end or whether they're going to make it or not. Somebody who's dead or somebody like MacArthur who's close to dead, <laughs> um, you got his whole life. You can see whether what he preached, he actually lived and whether it was accurate. Is there consistency there? 
And with somebody who has, who's, who's died, you get to see their whole life. You get to see the errors, and you get to see where they consistent with Scripture, and, and that's helpful. You follow somebody who's 30-something, you have no idea whether they're going to go, go off the rails or not. Do you think that everybody that was following Mark Driscoll at his height thought where he would be today, denying the very doctrines that, that he proclaimed? And Of course not. Danger you know, in, in doing that. And church history will, 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 will help you. The church is always in a state of correction. It's always... It's always swinging to one side or the other. When we came out of the 1800s and, and 1900s, we had liberalism, late 1800s, liberalism, rank liberalism, denying the resurrection and the miracles of Christ and everything else from Germany and from Europe and the fundamentals of the faith, uh, which was a fundamentalism, which was a good thing whenever it started. It was interdenominational, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists coming in. What are the fundamentals? What are, what are the fundamentals of Orthodox Christianity? Let's remind ourselves of, of, of those things. And, and uh, we, they rallied around that. And then, then the, there was, that was a state of correction. And then they started not just preaching against the doctrines of the liberals, but they started preaching against the practices of the liberals. And then all about the practices. And then... Fundamentalism became about, you know, uh, drinking, dancing in the King James Bible. They're not talking about anything. It became, you know, the Charles Finney and the New Light movement, uh, trying to keep revivalism going. Uh, Billy Graham, all of the crusades come up and all focused on mass evangelism and, and, and no, no, no doctrine, um, no church. Churches, it's, it's, again, a state of correction. We're going to focus on personal salvation your personal Jesus, so it's not focused on ecclesiology in the church and their doctrines that are falling out while these other ones are being, being highlighted. And, and then there's this resurgence of Reformed thinkers and a high view of God and a high view of the Word, expository preaching, because all people, people are just crashing without doctrine and are paper thin. And, and so people begin to read Puritans again and and they begin reading Presbyterians again where, because they're deep thinkers of, of the past, and, and then, then they get too hyper into covenantalism or you know, too hyper in, in some Reformed thinking, and, and paedobaptism comes back, and postmillennialism comes back, and all these other things come back because now they're reading these people, and now the, the church is in a, in a state of correction. You're always in a state of, state of, state of correction. Well, what's the antidote to that? Well, the antidote to that is, is being in an expository church and studying the scriptures for yourself and, and also being a student of church history. If you don't know that Charles Finney was not a good guy, uh, and if you don't understand that the church is doing this, then you may, you may get caught up in the wave, and you may miss. You don't know whether you're in the trough or when you're in, when you're in the top, and that can rattle you when you come out of, you know, of that and... And realize it. What about today's particular need? I think it kind of goes along with that, right? So there's prevailing error, there's a place in church history, and then there's a particular need. And now we go back to, I forget who said it, about you need to, you need to know what, what the need is. So obviously we're thinking about that as elders. What's the need of our church? You've heard me say before, I am, one sense, I'm not the pastor of Lynchburg. So I, I don't need to 
you know, to, to correct everybody in Lynchburg. But I, but I do need to correct myself, correct you through the truth. But there's also an aspect of we, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. We hold up truth. We proclaim the gospel, you know, to, to, to the world. And we do want to influence others in the truth. We just understand that we don't have any spiritual authority over, you know, Joe Blow at, you know, whatever church down the road. I do have spiritual authority. The elders do have spiritual authority of you, but you better believe the the elders are talking about what is the, what's the particular need. Yeah, we preach expository, the word of God, the whole counsel of God, but, but we're applying that in specific ways, whether that's, talked about um, our summer series or, or whatever else it, you know, it, it might be. When Clay did the discipleship uh, maturity thing, those are particular needs that are there. Be a student of the times. What about uh, be a student of uh, uh, be a student of the truth, so that you're able to persuade men from the scriptures? When you read that, do you think, ah, oh, okay, you know, that, that's what that's what the pastors do? When you read that, do you think, ah, oh, be a student of the truth, so that I can persuade men from the scriptures? I mean, like I got to persuade people from the scriptures. <laughs> Some of you may be saying, yeah, give me the ball. I'm ready to persuade people from the, you know, from the scriptures. In some cases, that might need to be tamped down. But is there a fear and trepidation that comes around? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'd want to do that. Be a student of the truth so that you're able to persuade men from scripture. Well, that obviously assumes that you know the scripture well enough yourself, right? To be able to, to live it, it goes back to what we were saying before. Know the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth, disciple others in the truth. Or Ezra 7.10, study, practice, teach. So study it, and you practice it, and then you teach it, and that's all it is. You don't have to be uber-confrontational. Why aren't you believing the Bible? Probably not the best way to start a conversation with someone. You use yourself. You know, I struggled with that too at one point, or I thought that. And boy, that led me in this direction. But then I went back and I was reading in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Have you ever read 1 Timothy chapter 2? I mean, right here it is. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that, listen to what Paul says right here. Can I read it to you? Let's read it together. Suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. But, you know, just use yourself and use the authority, you know, of, of Scripture. But if you're not convinced what Scripture says because you haven't studied it and been in it, then, 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 then your knife's not just going to be dull. You're not even going to have one to pull out. And that's a responsibility that, that you have. You don't want to be passive. In that way. Any thoughts on that? Be a student of the truth so you're able to persuade men from Scripture. Ed? Amen. Amen. You're, it's his truth. You're a student. They're a student, but that's the authority. And that's where the conviction comes in. The conviction is you're sitting there with a friend who denies what the, what the truth says, and you just say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I need to, I need to stand that's, that's there. What about being a student of tested principles? 
the principles of fear of the Lord and wisdom, principles in Ecclesiastes, vanity chasing the wind, the patterns of disciplined habits, and the practice of critical thinking, principles of fear of the Lord and and wisdom. What does Proverbs say about the fear of the Lord and wisdom? That's the beginning of it. You're not going to... What is wise? What, what, what is a person... What's wisdom? It's being skilled in applying God's truth to life. It's the skillful application of God's truth. It's not just you know it, you know how to apply it, and you know when to apply it. It's being skilled in applying God's truth to light. So that's different from knowledge. Knowledge, I need to know it. Wisdom means I, I know how to apply it. And the fear of the Lord, the reverence for the Lord, the fact that He is the source, He's God, I'm not. He's the authority, He knows what He's doing, everything about the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of wisdom. It's the beginning st- step, beginning acknowledgement that you might become skilled in applying God's truth. Well, first of all, why? First of all, because if you're going to find knowledge, you have to believe that the Lord has it, and it's His, it's his authority, that you're going where you're going to, to, to get that. And he's, he's good. He wants you to know it. He wants you to apply it. So there is the principles of the fear of the Lord and, and wisdom, Bowing before the Lord, submission to the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the principles of, of Ecclesiastes, why why you need to be a, a student of that? Vanity chasing the wind. What does Ecclesiastes teach us? What's that? Yeah, that's the conclusion of the whole matter. That's where it ends, right? Principles, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are things crooked that you can't make make straight. Principle of Ecclesiastes, you live outside the garden, not inside the garden, so curses are all around you. It's going to come. You're going to be saying, why is, why is life so hard? Ecclesiastes says, you're living outside the garden. But God hasn't left you in that difficulty. He's given you hope. He's given you strength. He's, he's your source. He'll help you. Um, this 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 thing in my life because of this other person's sin is so broke it's broken they hurt me and I, it can't be fixed my own sin can't be fixed ecclesiastes says that there are things in life that that are broken and become twisted and they cannot be fixed this side of heaven and i have to rest in that reality and the promise that god will straighten everything one day. It's a principle from, from Ecclesiastes. Chasing the wind, everything else. Chase this, chase that. Get this money, get this promotion, get this house, get this car, get this job. It's, it's, it's worthless wind that we chase. Don't do that, he says. Know that in the end, the only thing that matters is what you have to lay at the feet of Christ. That's what matters. And you can spend your whole life chasing the wind. Never catch it. You'll never catch it. 
it's, it's worse than a greased pig. You've seen what they used to do in the old fairs. They grease the pig, and you have to dive on that thing and try to catch it. It's worse than that. Chasing the world's worse than that. It's like the, it, it's not, there's, nothing, there's, not, there's not even substance in wind. There's no substance in steam or smoke. It looks like something. You don't even get a hold of it, and then it squirts out of your hand. It's just like it, you think it's there, and it's, it's, it's not. Principles of Ecclesiastes. Vanity. Empty. The patterns of disciplined habits. What does that mean? Well, I just, I, I don't want to work for Jesus. Uh, um, justification, salvation by faith alone. And so I'm just going to meditate. Where's that going to get you? You see how he connected all that? Principles of fear of the Lord and then prevailing error and in this case principles of Ecclesiastes. So then I, I, I learned discipline habits not to fall to those, not to pursue those. Um, patterns of discipline habits. Any other thoughts about discipline habits? What's Proverbs say about the ant? Discipline habits might be there. What we talk about in, you know, even from Psalm 5, seeking the Lord in the morning can be a discipline. I remember I used to only pray at night. Pray before I go to bed. Thank God for the day. So somebody said, well, why don't you ask God for help for the day before you start and thank him at night when you go to bed? Wow, I never thought of that before. And then I get up and, and I'm rushing around because I got up late and off to work I go, and, and then I think, wow, I sh- should have done better. And then I do good and do good and then do it again and fail again. And it's learning the discipline you know, of that. What I need to change, what I need to tweak. Um, what are disciplined habits I need not to fall to the prevailing error of the day, not to fall to the vanity of Ecclesiastes?
Amen. Amen. Practice of critical thinking. What's that? What's critical thinking? And don't give me the, well, it's thinking critically. Concerning, thinking critically, thinking with evaluation, applying discernment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not getting lost. The forest for the trees or getting stuck in the trees. Emotions and hitting your decisions. Yeah. Peter? Yeah. Amen. Amen. That almost goes back to even what Clay was applying earlier. This, you know, the knowing the prevailing error, the thinking critically about about things. Uh, okay, what's behind that? What 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 doctrine is that denying? Um, what is what, what what's the real issue that's going on there in their heart or you know, in that? in that movement. Um, and again, going back to my early days, the pragmatic church movement or the, you know, the easy believism or the mass evangelism, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's bad anthropology. Just show me the key to anybody's heart. If I learn the key to anybody's heart, I can lead them to Jesus. Bad anthropology. Wait a minute, Romans 3 says that there's none that understand, there's none that seeks after the Lord, they're dead in their sins. So what do you mean, give me the key to any man's heart and I'll lead him to Christ? You know, so you're able to think critically, meaning you're thinking, like you're saying, deeply about things, even what you believe, but about what others believe. Amen. Yeah, we, we know words. We know sin. Well, what does that mean? How deep is that? Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, Russ and Ed. Okay.
Yeah, I think you had, you know, using going down that road, you, you had an example of that even even on Sunday. You know, how many how many of you thought about God making clothes and the close proximity between that and the sin and whatever that meant? You know, is He sitting there with needle and thread? We don't know that, but just the idea that the Lord met the need, you know, that close proximity or renaming Eve, or I mean, so that's that's some critical thinking. It's a, yeah. A student, student of the times, student of tested principles, and those two things do, do go together. You have a quote at the very bottom of your page. If your character determines the power of your ministry, then your knowledge determines the stability of it. Your character determines the power. All influence flows from godly character. Your knowledge determines the stability of your, your ministry or your life in, in this case. Final thoughts before we close for the, for the semester? Well, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your grace for allowing me to be here with these men, walk through the truth. Thank you for what you've taught us. Pray you'd help us to apply it. And um, we launch out into the end of the day. Uh, help us to be students. Help us to be godly men. To love you and love your church. Thank you for loving us, caring for us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.